You're listening to Straight Shooters, a straightforward golf podcast that'll straighten out your game. And here are your hosts, Keith Bennett and Henry Statina. All right, everybody, what's going on? Welcome back to the Straight Shooters Golf Podcast. I am Keith Bennett, joined by my co-host, Henry Satina. Henry, what's going on, buddy? What's up, Keith? It's great to hear from you. Um, we got ourselves a, a pretty windy day here. I'm about to head into the office and go teach some class and then a few lessons. But uh, it's good to catch up, and I'm looking forward to the conversation today. Yeah, man, me as well. And uh, it's, a, it's a question and a topic that we get asked all the time. And I don't think the question is ever going to go away because it's at the forefront of a lot of people's minds um, when it comes to scoring and uh, breaking scoring barriers in this game. So we're going to do a little uh, series here on uh, breaking scoring barriers. You've got a lot of people trying to break 100. And they try to break 90, 80, and then you've got your uh, elite, elite golfers trying to break 70. Um, but it's it's a question we get asked all the time. A lot of people come through for lessons um, and they want, you know, they want to be able to get their handicap down to a certain level. They want to be able to consistently shoot within a score range. And they have these, these scoring barriers that they're trying to break. Um, but oftentimes I, I find, and this is no fault of the golfer, and it's more on the uh, the shoulders of the coach to help explain how we're going to go about actually breaking those scoring barriers. I think it's for a lot of people, it's just kind of like a pie in the sky. Oh, I'd like to do this, or I'd like to do that. Um, but they don't really kind of put much thought into, Hey, you know, golf is just a math and a numbers game. You know, we've, you've got a hundred strokes that you need to take a hundred or less, or they're trying to take, you know, one less than a hundred or a few less than a hundred. Um, and let's kind of put those stroke categories into some buckets I know around the greens on the greens from a hundred yards from maybe, you know, from 125 to 150 from 150 to 200 off the tee box and, and, and really get, get into the nitty gritty of how, how many shots we're taking from each of those scoring buckets from each of those distance buckets. And where do we need to be allocating our time as far as practice? And then how do we look at a golf course? Um, my assumption would be we're trying to break, these scoring barriers at a particular golf course first, um, you know, maybe a golfer's home golf course. I think a lot of people also bounce around from course to course and play different courses and expect that they're going to break these barriers at these different courses on a regular basis, but each course being designed differently, uh, the whole layouts, the lengths of the holes, um, you know, all of these factors play into whether or not a golfer breaks these scoring barriers on a regular basis. Um, so I think it would be good just to have, some concrete, tangible takeaways for the listeners to go and actually work on and think about, hey, how am I going to actually go about these? Um, what do you have uh, as far as uh, kind of initial thoughts there when when you have people come and, and say they want to break these barriers, Henry? Yeah, I think it's a great conversation because it is a very common ask. Um, those are those milestone uh, scoring barriers that people want to attain. And I think that... Uh, you know, depending on the type of person that we're dealing with, a lot of it, you know, starting with breaking 100 is going to come down to having a maybe a simpler or accurate understanding of, of the golf swing. I think, you know, being able to practice or, or practice a little bit more would be valuable. And then, um, you know, what are we doing during those times of practice? I think uh, being able to structure our practice more efficiently is going to be helpful. And and like you're suggesting with the uh, allotment of practice in terms of various buckets of scoring opportunity from 
tee shots to approach shots to short game and potting. I think that we can certainly help to uh, systemize this approach for a player wanting to do so. And then hopefully they can take that with them and, and begin to think about their game and how it might relate to them and, and implement some of the principles that we're going to suggest today. So I, I think it's a, a totally valid conversation. And I'm curious to hear your thoughts as to maybe how a, a player might go about breaking a hundred. Yeah. Um, I, I think we should, a good place to start would be to not do anything other than maybe play five, six rounds of golf and just start to keep a little bit more relevant to, you know, stats and statistics on a player's game. Um, I think I heard it put one time that, you know, we should start to treat our, our golf game, like how we would run a business, you know, start to look at expenses, um, start to look at revenue, start to look at, you know, costs of doing business, you know, those, those sort of numbers breakdowns, you know, the first thing we want to look at is where are we losing strokes? You know, where are we losing money in business talk? Um, and uh, the fastest way for a business to make money is to stop losing money. So if we don't know as golfers where we're losing strokes on the golf course, because we haven't been keeping relevant stats, then a lot of these um, practice allocation times just become very, you know, recency biased. So we might have a bad round of putting and think that the next day we got to spend all of our time putting, or we might have a bad round off the tee. And then we go and hit a bunch of drivers when in reality, if, if we've got statistics sort of on a, on a ongoing basis from, uh, you know, a three, six, nine month period, then that, that bad day of driving might just be a blip on the radar that we don't really pay much attention to because we've actually been driving it quite well. Um, and when we do some reflection, we might actually realize that, um, you know, we just, it was a different golf course and, and, you know, we weren't comfortable with our decision-making or we had some unproductive distractions going on in our brain and we can kind of quickly back, get back on track. So I think the first step a golfer needs to take in this whole process is to take a little ownership over their game and to start keeping some, some stats on, on what's actually going on. Because once we get a, a little bit of a, a better idea of what happens to us on the golf course. Um, and again, if we're playing three, four different golf courses during this time, um, I'm going to need a bigger sample size from you because this would assume that we're playing the same golf course five, six times in a row. Uh, and that would be easier for us to nail down. You know, why am I making doubles and triples on this particular par four? Is it my decision-making? Is it the club I'm using? Um, is it how I'm going about my target selection on this particular hole? That's a heck of a lot easier to start whittling away at these scoring barriers. than if I'm playing, you know, five, six different golf courses within that two month window. Um, so, we need to start keeping more stats and I don't see enough golfers doing that. Um, Henry, what's your experience with, uh, do, do golfers keep enough stats that come to your lesson T or do you think that's something people could do a better job of? Uh, it's, a, it's extremely rare actually for golfers to take stats, at least the ones that I see. Um, you and I often talk about, you know, using decade and, and uh, tracking strokes, gain stats. I think that'd be for the highly skilled golfer and, you know, someone looking to break 100, that would probably be too much of a, a change in their behavior, um, probably setting them up for failure. And so I do think that it would be helpful to keep some basic stats. Um, you know, traditionally speaking, fairways, greens and regulation, pots, 
um, those could be a value. It could kind of help narrow that down to see where we're losing those strokes. And to be honest with you, I think getting off the tee is probably going to be one of the most important areas for a player looking to break 100. And it might not necessarily be about driving the ball in the fairway as much as it is driving the ball in play. Right. I think if we can keep the ball from going out of bounds or keep the ball from going into the trees or the desert, eliminating or reducing some of those penalty strokes and giving ourselves a better chance at getting the ball up around the green is going to be really, really helpful. And so if I was a player looking to break 100, I might start to track uh, simply by counting on the scorecard the number of tee shots that I put myself in play. Mm. Yeah, I like that idea. Put yourself in play. Don't worry about whether it's in the fairway. Just, you know, in play with an opportunity to advance the ball closer to the hole with your next swing. Right. I mean, obviously, if we get behind a tree, um, that's some rub of the green kind of potentially some bad luck on that day. And we don't want to um, put too much emphasis on one tee shot. But if that ball was still in play, maybe it didn't have an, a possibility to advance towards the hole. But I'd still put a check mark behind, you know, the in play category. And maybe you have two columns there in your scorecard in play and then opportunity to advance my ball towards the hole on my next swing so that would even if i'm in a fairway bunker i'd still have an opportunity to chew off some yardage with my swing in the club from a fairway bunker so that would still fit within that category of kind of double check box in play plus opportunity to advance that golf ball um i always recommend and again um this is a little bit more meteor material for people, but Mark Brody put out a great book called Every Shot Counts, which really goes through the importance of um, aiming tee shots far enough away from penalty uh, areas as your skill level, um, let's say, isn't as high or, or decreases, for lack of a better term. So if you're a golfer shooting 120, you want to break 100, um, which is kind of the golfer we're speaking to right now. You need to be really, really, really cognizant of where those out of bounds and hazards uh, are on the golf course and be aiming um, almost what you feel is an uncomfortable distance away from those penalty areas. Um, and we got to remember uh, when we're hitting golf shots, we almost never hit it exactly where we're aiming. And we got to remember that hitting golf shots off the tee and hitting any golf shot really for that matter is more like pointing a shotgun at your target and pulling the trigger than it is pointing a sniper rifle at the target and pulling the trigger. Um, when you hit, when you shoot that shotgun, the pellets within the cartridge of the shotgun spread out. Um, and at any given time, your golf shot could take on, um, you know, the dispersion of one of those pellets that came out of the cartridge. And we don't know which one it's going to be from swing to swing. It doesn't matter how high of a level of golf you get to. You actually will never know what uh, window that ball is going to come out of. Of course, as you get better, the window gets a little tighter, but it still has a pretty massive uh, pattern to it, especially, you know, even from the PGA Tour level. So aiming almost what you feel is uncomfortably away from, from hazards and penalty markers um, would be a great place to start. Uh, Henry, what do you see, um, you know, when you're coaching golfers from, from tee shot perspective, are people putting enough emphasis on, on where hazards and penalty markers are uh, from your experience? You know, I think you bring up a great point. I think there's a couple of things that come to mind. Uh, I love what you said about aiming away from trouble. Um, I think that we don't do that enough as golfers in as a whole. Um, 
for the player looking to break 100, I think it might be a new idea for them to actually tee up the ball on the side of the tee box where the hazard or out of boundary is. So, yep. for example, if if there's out of bounds down the right side of the of the hole, we should tee up the ball on the right side of the tee box so that we can slightly aim our tee shot away from trouble down the left-hand side. It's a pretty small way of thinking in terms of that five to 10 feet is going to make a difference, but visually it's going to make a big difference in allowing us to open up the left side of that hole. So I think that would be really important. And um, another thing that I want to point out that, that came to mind was the kind of the, the numerical breakdown as to what we're really trying to do. Yep. Break a hundred. We need to have nine bogeys and mm -hmm. nine doubles. Mm. If a player can have nine bogeys and nine doubles in a round of golf, they're going to shoot a 99. Yep. And so we don't need to be perfect. We don't no, need to hit the ball in play. Uh, I'm sorry. Point. We don't need to hit the ball in the fairway all the time. Um, we don't need to hit the green very often at all. Um, mm -hmm. What we do need to do is we need to keep the ball in play. And so if we right. can get off the tee, that's step one. And then step two would be playing our approach shot. And again, we don't need to get on the green. We just need to keep mm. the ball in play. We we should be striving to put ourselves uh, within 50 or, or 80 or 100 yards of the green in grass mm -hmm. with a relatively basic shot towards the green. Yep. I think that would be really important. What are your thoughts? Uh, that what you just said really, really resonated, hit home with me. Um, as far as how I started to treat golf to, to start breaking my own barriers. Whereas I thought I had to have like a miracle round of golf to break these certain barriers. Like I had to have birdies and strings of pars and hit my fairways and hit my greens. And, and when you really break it down, I think this is what so few golfers do is actually break it down into tangible quantifiable, um, you know, bite-sized chunks where they go nine bird, nine bogeys and nine doubles, right? Okay. Let me look at the golf course that I play often, you know, par fives, par threes. Okay. What are the handicaps on these particular holes? How far are these holes? Is a double okay on this hole? Um, and I've been beating myself up over it. Yeah. Double's actually okay on this hole. I don't need to freak out if I make a double. Um, I think a lot of people are, are just, mentally crumbling when they make a double or a triple. Um, if you throw one par in there, that means you get to make a triple now all of a sudden and still be on track. So I think we got to recognize all these things and, and actually think about the task at hand and what we're trying to do, and then go ahead and break down the, the distance buckets. Uh, how are we doing off the tee? okay, maybe I'm taking 40 putts or 45 putts on the green. Well, holy cow, now I only have 55 or 54 more strokes to give on this golf course. Um, maybe I need to take a look at my putting. So again, just want to hammer home to everybody listening. These goals are very attainable with some thought put in as to breaking it down. So you got to sit down for a half hour or an hour at home away, remove yourself from the golf course think about what you're trying to do too many people just show up at the golf course they start hitting some balls on the range and they're like oh I'm, you know i'd love to do this i'd love to do that nobody actually sits down away from the golf course 
breaks it down like we're doing right now. Think about it. Think about the course that you play. Think about what typical scores you shoot on each hole. You know, for a while there, what I would do when I was playing a, a certain tournament that I just couldn't figure out why I was shooting, I thought I should be playing better. You know, I would just, I, I made a spreadsheet and each year I played the tournament, I inputted my scores uh, from each hole in that tournament because we played the same course every year. And I'd look at my scoring average on each hole and I'd go, you know, why am I, why am I averaging a half shot over par on this 350 yard par four? Like, you know, let me sit down and think about what the heck I'm doing on that hole. Right. And then the next year I've averaged par on that hole. That's a half shot better. Talk about three rounds of a tournament. That's a shot and a half better. I mean, boom, right there. That's a massive thing. Just for me sitting down, reflecting away from the golf course, which not enough people do, um, which is what we're trying to help everybody start thinking about a little differently here is that um, we got to think about this stuff differently if we want to behave differently on a course. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's exactly what a person needs to do. And if we are looking to break 90 and we are thinking that it's nine bogeys and nine doubles, we shouldn't really be looking to hit very many greens, if any, in regulation. Mm -hmm. Instead, we should be looking to get off the tee. We don't even need driver. We just need a club that puts us in play. From there, then we're going to look to get ourselves, say, at 100 yards even. From there, we have half of the time we're going to be able to hit the green and half of the time we won't. As long as we can learn to to two-putt the majority of the time, we're going to be right about at that 100 scoring threshold, and we're going to be able to play very respectable golf and, and then, again, be able to chisel it down to start breaking 90. But we have to we have to really simplify this process and look at the bigger picture and be able to say, what am I actually trying to do in this round of golf, and what am mm-hmm. I trying to do on each of these holes, and then what am I trying to do on each of these shots? Golf yes. at the end of the day is is simply a massive board game. It's played mm-hmm. over a board, a playing field that's over a hundred acres. And we're just plotting our piece around throughout this golf course, avoiding obstacles. Yep. Our piece being the golf ball. And so golfers just need to break that down and figure out how do I put this ball and play off the tee? How do I get this up around the green? And then how do I kind of hone in on my short game a little bit to where I can work towards making a few more bogeys and avoid a few more triples. I really like what you said just there about, um, you know, breaking it down each round, each hole, each shot. Um, You know, each hole has to have a game plan attached to it, right? I think too many people let the emotion of a triple on the previous hole carry over into the next hole. And they totally forget that this is an isolated hole removed from the previous hole they just played. And we need to have a completely different game plan attached to this hole based on where they put the bunkering, based on where the water is, based on where the hazards are, et cetera. And the ability to sort of cleanse your mind from the previous hole and then get back to go, okay, that last hole happened. Um, you know, I'm going to reflect more about it after the round is done because I don't have time to do that right now and it's not really uh, going to be worth my time. What am I trying to do on this hole? Let me play this hole to the best of my abilities based on the strategy that I've put in place that I know gives me the best chance to put my ball in play, advance the next one up around the green, get it on the putting surface and two putt, right? And if I can treat each hole like a totally unique situation. Um, Jeff Costin always said it's 18 one hole tournaments, which I love that. And I take that with me every time I go play. Um, 
you know, I got to treat each hole like its own tournament, like its own, its own entity, which it is. And, and if we can start to do that, um, then we, we don't let emotions control our decision-making. We have a plan in place and then it just becomes about executing that plan. Now, obviously every day is different. Um, we're not always going to be within one or two shots of our scoring threshold. Every time we play, it's just not realistic. Uh, even the best players in the world, if you go look at, you know, Rory last year, I think his lowest score was a 63 and his highest score is like a 76, which is a massive scoring window. Um, and most people don't realize that, you know, they, they can fluctuate. The best players on earth can fluctuate just as much as, as the average golfer. So set our reasonable expectations, have a game plan for each hole and then execute on that game plan. Yep. I totally agree with that. And I think that as a person starts to do that, they're going to have a much better perspective as to what they should be doing. Um, doing some of that basic stat tracking, for example, like we mentioned off the tee, uh, basically counting the number of shots that we put the ball in play on. Uh, the same thing would be true on approach shots or I guess our second shots. Are we putting ourselves down the, the, the fairway, putting ourselves in a relatively available spot to access the green on the on the next shot? Um, and then maybe number of putts. I think that when we start to do that and we start to look at it, we're going to start to see where we're actually losing the most strokes. And yep. so a player is going to now begin to structure their practice a little bit differently. I think that a player should be practicing and they should consider, you know, at least practicing once a week where they go out strictly for practice, not warming up, but practice. And um, when we do that, I, I would say that if, if we were to practice for, let's say one hour, maybe we break that up in half where Half of it is on the full shots, so driving and approach shots. And then the other half of it is shots inside of 100 yards. Yep. Putting, chipping, pitching, bunker play, and a variety of wedge shots. I think that's yep. going to be the area where we're really able to transition um, our game and, and break that barrier. And then it's also going to set that foundation for later being able to break 90. Yep. I couldn't agree more. And I think another thing, a great thing people could do is, you know, keep your, keep your break 100 journal or keep a journal in your bag. Um, you know, we have a goal and we need to reflect on how we did trying to, trying to achieve that goal, you know, after each time we play, I don't need you to sit down for an hour and write about it, but just write down some thoughts that came to mind as you were trying to execute your plan. Oh, I like that. I did this. I've never played that hole so well, or, Oh man, uh, I just can't commit to this tee shot. I need to figure out a better game plan for number five or, you know, whatever the case may be. And, you know, imagine we always talk, I, you know, you and I always talk sometimes, you know, when we're not recording of like, Hey, you know, we get golfers that come to the lesson T all the time that want to have these goals and we're all aboard and we're trying to help them to achieve these, but there's only so much a coach can do. I think we got to remember that, you know, a lot of the onus comes back onto the student, you know, imagine if a student showed up to a lesson with, with a notebook of, you know, six months worth of stats and, and reflections and goes, you know, I've been trying to do this. I, I, I'm trying to break this scoring barrier. This is how I'm doing in these areas. You know, I need your guidance to help me, you know, go a little further than that. Um, you know, that would be something where as a coach, you know, you'd be like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. We're going to break these so easily. You've already done all this work. You know, this would be, um, it, we'd, we'd be able to put this game plan together. Um, but a lot of folks coming through for a single lesson or, you know, maybe only three lessons, you know, wanting to break these goals, you know, as we just discussed, that's really just barely even the tip of the iceberg. Um, you know, a lot of these things take some time because you got to reframe and change how a person thinks on a golf course. Uh, you and I being very, very skilled golfers, people who have broken 70, um, which, you know, maybe 
0.2% of all golfers on earth actually do that legitimately. Um, you know, we've had to think differently to get to these goals. And so if you want to break a goal, you got to start thinking and acting and behaving differently. You know, that's that definition of insanity that we always run up against. So, um, you know, the point of this whole discussion here as we wrap up is just to, to get you to start thinking differently about um, breaking these goals. And, and it's tangible. It's doable. It's right there. It's really not that complicated. It takes a little extra work, of course, but anything worth doing takes extra work. And and we're, we're trying to give you some, some ideas as to how to go about that. And as always, you know, uh, Henry and I are available on the Skillist app for online lessons. Um, you know, you sign up for our monthly subscriptions and we'll be able to have all these personalized conversations with you about breaking these scoring barriers and walking you through it and guiding you through how you're supposed to practice and helping you understand what stats to keep and helping you understand how to play your home golf course. Um, and it's a lot, it's a really fun process at the end of the day, because you see the work that goes into it. And then when you break that barrier, it's like, oh man, it's the coolest feeling because you know, you know what you've put into it and it means that much more for sure. Yeah, I want to reiterate exactly what you just said regarding coaching versus lessons. I think a golfer um, might test out a coach with a couple of lessons, but at the end of the day, they should be looking for the right fit. Somebody mm -hmm. who's going to be able to mentor them on the golf course and through their golf journey. And we should be looking to find an individual who's going to help hold us accountable and help monitor our progress and help allow for an open line of communication between lessons. Yep. I think coaches should do the same. I think it's very difficult to expect a player to come to us when we have uh, with notes and with ideas and with stats, if we're giving one-off lessons, I think when we can schedule our programs to allow for coaching, like you're suggesting with our online coaching platforms using Skillist, then we can have that open line of communication and really get to the root of these challenges and help to change the player's behavior um, on the golf course and through their practice. So I think that's a great point. And I think this has been a great conversation, Keith. Um, I guess uh, we're going to be uh, signing off for today, but we're going to come back to this conversation next week when we start to talk about how to break 90. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. Um, and and I'm, I'm looking forward to this series because I think a golfer can save these episodes or come back to these episodes and as they break these scoring barriers or as they're thinking about different scoring barriers, you know, each episode will have little nuggets as, as far as, you know, as, as a golfer's skill increases or their ability to break barriers increases, you know, each one will have, have little, little, uh, you know, takeaways to, to break each of those things. So I think it'll be a cool series for golfers to come back to on a regular basis um, and revisit them. And uh, I'm looking forward to the, to the next handful. Great conversation today, Keith. Uh, those of you listening, like he mentioned, be sure to go and find us on Skillist. And uh, if you're interested, uh, feel free to reach out or, or just sign up for an online coaching subscription. We'd be happy to help you with your golf games. Yes, sir. All right, Henry, have a great rest of your day, bud, and uh, look forward to chatting next week. Sounds good, buddy. Take care. Later. Do you want to work one-on-one -on -one with either Henry or Keith? Well, you're in luck. Both Henry and Keith offer online lessons and monthly coaching subscriptions using the Skillist app. Online coaching allows you to learn at your own pace by digesting smaller chunks of information more frequently. Download Skillist, search for Henry or Keith, and get started today.